You guys ever do anything like this where when you go on a road trip or have a particular vacation, somehow either on purpose beforehand or afterward by accident, you end up having a bit of a soundtrack to that trip? Or you hear a song and it takes you back to the exact same place. Last week I had the incredible opportunity of getting back for the first time in two and a half years to a bunch of friends and new church plants in West Africa. And exactly one week ago to this hour, I got to stand in a brand new church that didn't exist the last time I was there in an incredibly remote community and hand people solar-powered Bibles to have their own copy of God's Word for the first time ever in those communities. And as we did this trip and as we were going and now thinking back and reflecting in worship, being like, I've gotten to stand on three continents in the last week alone in Europe and in Africa and back in North America and as our little plane was flying to a dirt runway strip and we banked I kept listening to this song the souls of all to the father are restored and we were banking right over all the Ebola graveyards in a place where so much death had happened on the border of Guinea and Sierra Leone and Liberia and there's thousands of graves and I'm imagining restored to the father and then landing and seeing, even in one of the poorest places of the world, a church that was so vibrant and alive and just burst out in dance and song as they got their first copies ever of the Word of God. And they were these solar-powered audio Bibles because they couldn't read, but they got to have God's Word in their own hand. And they were elated, and the only thing they wanted to do was dance. And I saw reformed people from Dune, Iowa, dance in northern (laughs) Liberia because they too shared in the excitement of that. And then landing back in Paris, again looking over one of the great cities of the world, listening to the same song, and the same God who is sovereign in all of these places invites us back into this story again. Needless to say, I had a few tears this morning, and I'm wiping my face quick as I'm coming up, because every once in a while, you just get these sweet moments, right? And I had that this morning as I was walking through all of the pews. Sometimes I pray over the pews, and others sometimes join me in this room before chapel, and I just had this incredible sense in the middle of that, that through what God wants to say here this morning, that there are some walls for some of you who are going to come down for the first time. There's some incredibly powerful stuff that we are invited into, into this text today in Joseph's story, and I cannot wait to see where God takes us together. Will you join me in prayer? Lord, as we just sang, the souls of all who come to the Father are restored. And we come back to this word of life because it's you. You can speak into and you want to speak into each and every situation of our lives. And as we look this morning at just the power of forgiveness, Lord, will you teach us to do it better? And not just to think about it or to be momentarily inspired by it in a worship setting, but I pray that the hard places of our hearts would be fertile soil for your word this morning. Amen. 
I want you to think for a minute with me this morning about a time in your life when you have been wronged or hurt or betrayed or abused or manipulated by somebody. might even be the time in your life where you were the most hurt. And maybe it ended up in the severing of a relationship or someone you've never talked to since. Maybe it was someone who wronged you and affronted you and stole something from you. And it may even have been your inner child. Think about the hard places where we are tempted forevermore to want to harbor a place inside of us that only ever wants to exact revenge for the wrong that's been done to us. Every time I've ever been slandered or somebody says something or misinterprets what I say or accuses me of something I haven't done, every part of my flesh wants to lash out in revenge. You ever have that? You, you can feel the words dripping off your tongue. And I want so badly to respond in kind or better yet to win that war by one-upping whatever it is that they've done to me so they will know what it feels like. I want to enact an exact justice. You ever felt like that? And the spirit and the flesh are in conflict with one another inside of me in every one of those moments because God wants the exact opposite of what my flesh wants every time that happens. In many ways, in Joseph's story, where we get to today is kind of the pinnacle of the whole thing. It's this incredible moment where Joseph now has the power to decide how he will respond to those who sold him into slavery, brought him to a place where he would become imprisoned, and now has the power as one of the most powerful people on the planet, ruling over the world's superpower, to do whatever he wants in response. And these are the choices that he makes. Well, join me in Genesis chapter 45. You remember, of course, he sent his brothers back and told them to go get Benjamin, and then they had to come back um, to Egypt, and they still are very much terrified, not only of the power that he holds over them, but what he all knows, but they don't know yet that this is even their brother, the one who has wronged, that they have wronged so egregiously in their past. They come back before him again, and this is where we pick up the story in Genesis 45. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence! So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed. And do not even be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Be 
because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land, and, there w- and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You could see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen, and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around ben- his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, Tell your brothers, do this. Load your animals and return to the land of Canaan and bring your father and your families back to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you can enjoy the fat of the land. You were also directed to tell them, do this. Take some carts from Egypt for your children and your wives and get your father and come. Never mind about your belongings, because the best of all Egypt will be yours. So the sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them carts, as Pharaoh had commanded, and he also gave them provisions for their journey. To each of them he gave new clothing, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five sets of clothes. And this is what he sent to his father. Ten donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt, and ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other provisions for his journey. And he sent his brothers away, and they were leaving. He said to them, Don't quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. And they told him, Joseph, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is the ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when they saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. There's a couple key things that I want to look at inside this text with you that show us um, some of the key principles within Scripture about the concept of forgiveness. Forgiveness sometimes is so hard for us to exercise because whenever we feel like we've been wronged by somebody, the one power we feel like we still have remaining within our own control, even if someone has taken from us, is forgiveness back. We feel like unless we can make them feel a particular level of remorse or we are convinced that they've now been shamed enough, now we're ready potentially to forgive them. But short of that, we hold on to it. 
But not only in this story does Joseph not want this for himself, but he doesn't even want it for those who have offended him. Verse 5. Do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Anybody at Dort ever had to write an MSIG? A my story inside God's story paper in Core 100? The whole principle of it really is to enjoy the um, benefit and the fruits of what this story is all about. See, Joseph can articulate here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Joseph has realized that not only is he not the protagonist of his own story, but even his brothers who made decisions for him were not the protagonist of his story. He refuses to accept the idea that what someone else could do to him would irreparably set him on a course of life that could not be altered, could not be changed, and could not be redeemed. In fact, he can go back and see the very hard this thing that he had ever endured as something that God had used to prepare him for what came next. Do you really think that you would have the power to be the, one of the greatest rulers and most important people in the entire world if you had not endured hardship along the way? We try so hard to eliminate the difficulties from our lives and God just simply wants to redeem them. The most difficult things that you are going through right now or the ways that you have been hurt the most might just be the place where God wants to create the greatest transformation within you so that you can actually be more powerful on his behalf in the kingdom in the world. The character of Joseph was fortified in his running away from Potiphar's wife. It was strengthened as he sat in prison. And his faith was multiplied as he believed that God could still have a plan for his life even when sold into slavery or thrown into prison. A faith in a God that is bigger than our circumstances is only cultivated when we allow ourselves to believe the possibility that God could take what someone else has done to us and what we think is setting us in a particular direction and believe that it is not the last word on where we are going or on who we are. It's that faith within Joseph that allows him to believe that his circumstances could not dictate his future. You guys, we talk so much about creating our own destiny or kicking down our doors of opportunity. And we come back to stories like this and we're reminded again that our Father is pleased to give us a kingdom. We fight so hard to be the main character in our own story when God so badly wants to give us freedom. And you see, when we fail to forgive people, we create an obstacle in our own lives, a hardness within our own hearts that paralyze and stunt our own potential emotional, psychological, and spiritual growth. A grudge that we carry is not so much a burden that we are dragging behind us, but an obstacle that stands in front of us not allowing us to see the possibility of what God could do with it. God does not want any one of his children here 
to walk through life carrying grudges and burdens against other people because they will hinder you from the possibilities of what God could do with your life. God gives us the gift of forgiveness to free us from the pain of our past. From the hard and mean and horrible things that people do to one another in this world and that you have had done to you. There's an anonymous saying that dates way back and some have attributed it to Augustine and others to Anne Lamott, some to Gary Smalley and others to Gandhi. And I'm not sure at the end of the day who actually said this, but here's the quote. The refusing to forgive someone is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. You see, at the end of the day, forgiveness isn't actually something that you hold within your possession to give to somebody else. At the moment when you think that they've arrived in enough remorse or enough punishment for what they've done. Forgiveness is not something that you give to someone that is dependent on their ability to come to you and say that they are sorry. Forgiveness is a supernatural gift that God wants to give through you to somebody else, regardless of their response, their level of penitence, whether or not they ever say they're sorry, because God loves you so much that he does not want you to remain paralyzed and stunted in your growth and in your story because somebody else did something to you that your God hated and didn't like. And that is his way of freeing you from the hardship that you've endured. So refusing forgiveness for somebody else and believing that somehow that's protecting ourselves is an ironic and twisted lie of the evil one. And it will not give us what we want. And maybe that's the one who was so perfect at this. Even to those who tortured and abused and betrayed and abandoned and then killed him, said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That the heart of Jesus wanted to forgive people even as they were killing him. See, because it's being freed by all of that as a son of God, then it's freed to rise from the dead and to be above it. And our God wants the same experience for his children. That's why when Jesus teaches us to pray, he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. There's a conditional element to the construction of this sentence. Forgive us our sins in the manner in which we have forgiven others. Forgive us the things that we've done wrong in accordance with the measure by which we have forgiven others. There's a conditionality that's kind of embedded inside of this that I, I have a hard time really understanding forgiveness, and I, if I'm withholding it from somebody else, then I obviously haven't understood the forgiveness that's been given to me. Me, one more beggar among others looking for bread. In verse 7 in this passage, but God sent me ahead of you. Joseph realizes that it was God who was orchestrating these steps. That God allows sometimes difficult things to happen, that he's never the originator of evil or pain or sin or anything of the like. But he always, always wants to redeem it. 
that He always, always wants you to believe in a God that is big enough to take the things that have hurt you the most in this world and still insist with an unwavering and unrelenting hope that it is possible that these two will work together in all things for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purposes. So now reframe that hurt in your own life. So often we want to believe the things that hurt us the worst were the moments in life when God was not present. That He wasn't there. But God wants to revisit those spaces with you. To go back there. And show you that He can and He will redeem even that. See, that's the blessing that Joseph experiences of the depth of the love of his God in this story. And God doesn't want us to not be able to enjoy those same benefits. Well, let's close with this. Twice in this story, in verse 7 and verse 8, are perhaps the two most important words of the entire Old Testament that recur again and again. But God. See, a bunch of things are happening in the story, but God steps in and intervenes. Somebody may have hurt you at some point in time, but God wants to step into that moment and take that and do something beautiful with it. Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery, but God took that moment and made it something beautiful. You might think there are things out of control in your life in different areas right now, but God wants to take all of those and use them for good. And the depth of God's love will accomplish this. I love this concept of but God dot dot dot. The ellipsis of infinite possibilities. The ellipsis of infinite possibilities. It's like when you text somebody and there's three dots just there and anything could come. Could be an emoji, could be an answer, could be something you like, could be something you didn't like. Every time God wants to interject into our story with the ellipsis of infinite possibility. But God, what does he want to do? And what does he want to say? If Joseph were here to give you this message, he would want to take you back to the part and the places where you hurt the most. And dare you to believe just enough, but God, dot, dot, dot. That all things are possible as a result of that. Dot, dot, dot. Creates a world of possibility. For a God who loves you. And only a mystery of that love can invite us into all the possibilities that have a potential as a result. And they're not just for Joseph. In Genesis chapter 45, they were written down because they're for you. And the same healing that he went through, that God led him through, is available to you too. May you never be paralyzed by hurt. May even your offenders never have any ability to stunt your growth. Because God keeps calling you into life, abundant 
and eternal. I don't know what happened to you, but God? Let him fill in the blank. 